Green Rush Nation, this week we have a super interesting fill-in episode with a recent Marijuana Today episode diving into the realm of professional legal marijuana education. Enjoy! And welcome to episode 415 of Marijuana Today. I'm this week's host, Heather Sullivan. I'm an advocate, a chronic cannabis consumer, and I work in the legal and compliance side of the industry for Cureleaf, one of the large MSOs in the space. However, the opinions I share on this podcast do not reflect Cureleaf's management or corporate perspective. Once again, these opinions are mine and mine alone. But first, Marijuana Nation, I do want to thank you for listening. As we know, there are lots of places to get your cannabis news these days. And it means a lot to our team that you take the time to let us share that news and our opinions with you. So we are recording this show on Monday, August 8th, and it continues to be hot, hot, hot across the United States. With one exception, and that would be the cannabis news cycle. Things are a little bit quiet right now in cannabis news, folks. A um, couple of things that came up this week, as expected, Brittany Greiner, the two-time Olympian, was actually sentenced by a Russian court on Thursday of last week to nine years of hard labor for bringing vape cartridges into the country in her luggage. Russia said Friday it was ready to discuss a prisoner swap that includes this most prominent American detained by a foreign country. We are hoping for a swift negotiation that brings the two-time Olympian and WNBA star home to the U.S., along with fellow detainee Paul Whelan. Over in Arkansas, activists filed a lawsuit with the state Supreme Court seeking to secure ballot access for their proposed legalization initiative. That action comes a day after the state Board of Election Commissioners ruled that the measure's ballot title and popular name are, quote, misleading. Well, Arkansas election, election, or I have a couple of recommendations for you. One is to perhaps get a little bit better of recording equipment of your meetings because it was almost impossible to hear what was going on in that room. I actually went and listened to the, to the tape on that. Um, I will say I looked up the actual ballot popular name, and it is, and I quote, an amendment to authorize the possession, personal use, and consumption of cannabis by adults, comma, to authorize the cultivation and sale of cannabis by licensed commercial facilities, comma, and to provide for the regulations of those facilities, end quote. I'm personally having a tough time seeing how this one is misleading. Um, I've unfortunately been part of citizen initiatives that we've had to sue various state agencies in order to actually get on the ballot. So I'm definitely feeling the pain of the um, Responsible Growth Arkansas group, and in particular, Arkansas Democratic House, minor former Democratic House Minority Leader Eddie Armstrong. Keep up the good fight out there in Arkansas. 
Um, and finally, I think in the news, I think it would it would be remiss to mention uh, after a marathon 27 hour weekend session of debate and Republican efforts to derail the package. The Senate yesterday approved the Inflation Reduction Act by a 5150 party line vote where uh, Kamala Harris had to actually go in and put put in the deciding vote. So many of you are aware that this bill has um, large, the largest climate investment in U.S. history. Um, it gives Medicare some powers for the first time to negotiate drug prices and includes a 15% minimum tax on corporations with profits over a billion dollars. Um, we expect House lawmakers to return uh, for, from summer recess to vote on this bill, potentially as early as this week. Um, and of course, this bill is not cannabis related, but I think that the passage of this bill will have some impact to the industry. First, in that clean energy funding area, um, I think that it might become easier and easier for those of us in the space to have access to uh, clean energy uh, and also to... Um, maybe even kind of push the envelope a little bit when it comes to clean energy and maybe start helping to um, create this new clean energy space. Or I'm not going to say create, that's not the right word, but to propel the clean energy space into something that just becomes part of the way that the United States functions. And I will say that this may also impact uh, in the future publicly traded MSOs if and when profits soar or stock buybacks become a thing in our space. Um, but I think more than anything, this bill's passage creates some space in Congress that's going to allow them to focus on some of the introduced bills that would directly impact our industry. So even last week, Cory Booker talked about what he's calling safe banking plus. It's like a compromise legislation that would combine the financial fixes that we've all been fighting for on the safe banking side and some more justice focused incremental policy change on the social equity and just and, and more importantly, the straight up justice side of things. Um, Booker even went so far as to predict a vote and passage of something like this uh, sometime between November's midterm election and January, which I believe they call that the lame duck. Not 100% sure there. So moving on to our um, topic of conversation today, uh, like if you are a parent or a student out there in Marijuana Nation, you probably are starting to realize that a new school year is soon upon us. Uh, I know I'm starting to think about all that comes with that back to school season. In my house, we're primarily focused on whether or not the eighth grader will actually get a haircut before school starts and are in negotiations over how many pairs of sneakers are needed. Um, with school on the brain, I thought this would be a great opportunity to take some time to talk about the growing world of cannabis industry education. So we asked two of the brightest people in cannabis education to join me on what I'm calling the special back to school episode of Marijuana Today. First up, we've got Brian Bino Adams. You know Brian as a fellow host of this podcast. He's an MC, a man of the people, 
one of Ohio's original cannabis activists. And also, you know, his day job is serving as the director of education for the Harrington Institute, which is powered by the Cleveland School of Cannabis. The Harrington Institute's mission is to provide equitable access to the cannabis industry through delivering high-quality education to its community. Brian also recently launched his new podcast, Blazed and Enthused, which is such a great name, Brian. He is bringing you cannabis edutainment, news, product reviews, interviews, answers to your questions. I am absolutely loving the new podcast, Brian. What a great resource for cannabis consumers. How are you doing, buddy? Hi, I'm doing great. Thank you so much for that elaborate intro. It's always great to be back with my best buds here on Marijuana Today. Hey, hey. Well, Brian, we have got a treat for both you and I today. One of the many benefits of getting to host this podcast is when we have the opportunity to connect with industry OGs. And today is one of those days. It's not his first time on the show. In fact, he has now reached, quote, regular guest status on Marijuana Today. But this is my first opportunity to meet and connect with Max Simon, CEO of Greenflower, a cannabis education company that Max co-founded in 2014. He has grown the first of its kind education company in our industry to the industry leading provider of producing the world's largest library of online cannabis courses. Max's personal mission is to educate the world about cannabis. Most recently creating the Ganji A certification, which is known as the Cannabis Solium A certification program. I told you guys I was terrible with my pronunciations. Max, Greenflower was one of the very first online cannabis programming I saw back in 2016 when I was entering the space. It was impressive then, but now with the Ganji A programming, you have absolutely taken it to another level. Welcome back to the podcast, and thank you for doing what you do in this space. Connect with Brian, who I have tremendous admiration for as well. We are thrilled to have you. So turn up the AC, Marijuana Nation, pack a bowl if you so choose, as we get serious about cannabis education. Let's just jump right in. So first off, I would love to hear how each of you found your way into the cannabis education space. Brian, why don't we start off with you? Yeah, thank you. And um, I definitely want to refer listeners back to episode 378 with me and Ben. It was the Brian and Ben show. I was uh, blessed to be able to tell my story in great detail, probably uh, the longest I've ever talked about myself. I feel kind of embarrassed about it, quite frankly, but... That is a great way to sort of get uh, the full backstory, but just in a nutshell, um, you know, got politically active in my lifetime and around the year 2008. It was started to really get serious for me as far as voter registrations, uh, you know, and also just pol participating in my political right uh, to vote and, and uh, also inspire others to do so as well. So that's really where my activism starts, but it wasn't until... Five years later, when I joined Cleveland Normal, 
uh, and that's folks should know. I know you know. A lot of folks have been on this show that's represented normal, and that's the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws, founded by Keith Strop all the way back in 1970. So there was uh, eight Ohio regional chapters at the time when I joined in 2013, officially coming out of the cannabis closet and um, became the executive director of that chapter. So that would later culminate into uh, an instructor role the first lead instructor at the Cleveland School of Cannabis as we sought our state accreditation with the Ohio uh, Career Colleges and Schools Board. So uh, we did achieve that, and we continue to hold that, uh, you know, sort of um, angle on this whole thing, just taking it very seriously and having the state recognize an educational uh, organization even fought to have the area where it's being done zoned for education because there was no such uh, thing. So that was a really great way that activism kind of combines into you know education and also your career. I wouldn't even consider this a job. I love doing this. I'm headed to teach a class today right now at, at our um, residential location here in Ohio. So um, I'm thrilled to be able to pop in here and then pop out. But uh, yeah, became the original director of faculty at the Cleveland School of Cannabis, and then now, um, after becoming a bud tender and actually working in the industry, uh, uh, <laughs> uh, came back full-time as the director of education for Harrington, which is Al Harrington, uh, NBA All-Star, former NBA All-Star Al Harrington's uh, spinoff, or if you will, educational opportunity for folks that is powered by the Cleveland School of Cannabis. So using that same state accredited um, curriculum and, you know, developing other classes from that is where I spend most of my time nowadays. Yeah. And I mean, Brian, that must have been crazy. And we're going to talk a little bit about accreditation later on in the show. But the idea to me of a of a course curriculum going through an accreditation process in 2013. When did Ohio legalize medical? Uh, that was 2016. Ha! So you managed to get a, an accredited program put in place before you had a medical marijuana program. I mean, that is amazing. That's what inspired us to actually do it because we knew that workforce uh, development was necessary and there was nowhere else to do it. So that was, uh, yeah, we, we saw it coming and, and, um, I got to give a big shout out to the founder, Austin Briggs. He's the founder of the Cleveland school of cannabis. And, um, yeah, just, just been hitting the ground running since. Very cool. Amazing. So Max, how about you? How, what, what was your journey into cannabis education? I, for my whole life, have been at online education and cannabis. Uh, I've been a medical cannabis patient for, for many decades now and was using it kind of long before I really even understood how deeply medicinal it's been, but have been so drawn to it for, for my whole life, quite frankly. So I've had a, a long relationship with the plant. In fact, I these days I kind of joke it was selling weed was my very first job when I was four, 15 years old. So... I've been involved in cannabis and, and loved cannabis for forever. Um, and then my career path has always been in these alternative forms of uh, online education. And so I spent almost uh, eight years of my life helping Deepak Chopra build his business. And we used online methodologies to reach hundreds of millions of people and to build a very successful business that kind of mainstreamed meditation. 
And so I had done a number of entrepreneurial endeavors post working for Deepak and was just looking for my next thing. I was kind of um, hungry for a new opportunity. And back in 2013, I, I got a chance to do some consulting work with one of the very earliest vape pen companies here in California. And in that work really opened my eyes to the enormous opportunity and the potential of this cannabis sector. And yet at the same time, I just realized there was not really good, credible sources of education and that there was going to be a need for well-trained people. And that was so deeply a part of my, my professional background. So I just kind of almost immediately took the leap in and started building green flower back in, in 2014. And now today, Greenflower has this, you know, amazing business that has partnerships with 30 different colleges and universities, is the, the training and development backbone of, of many of the most successful cannabis operators. And as you said, also powers this Ganjie certification program, which is kind of a, a more advanced level degree, uh, certificate program in the cannabis space. I think one of the one of the most fascinating things to watch in this space is how green flower has evolved over the years um, through time. You know, in real time, we're kind of I've been seeing you and your team mm, find new ways of delivering cannabis education. So always, you know, top priority seems to be like having the right people teaching. I think that's been something that Greenflower has done wonderfully from day one. Um, you guys really can get the heads of the class, the valedictorians out there, the people who have the absolute top skills in their different areas of the business. Um, but it's been really fun to watch Greenflower change over time. Um, probably more fun for an outsider than you actually going through it. <laughs> um, well, that's really, you know, that's really interesting. I really appreciate you both sharing a little bit about your backgrounds. Let's talk a little bit about uh, cannabis education and and kind of where we're at in the space right now. Um, just to kind of level set a little bit here. 2021, um, the end of 2021, we had just over 428,000 cannabis jobs in the United States. Um that's the fifth year in a row of annual job growth, more than 27%. There is no other industry in the United States that can say that same thing right now. Um, I saw some figure where it was Americans legal cannabis industry in 2021 created more than 280 new jobs every day. I even seen that the total employment potential, like when our U.S. market is fully mature, um, is projected to be around 1.5 million employees. So we are still only in the first third of that. We've got another million people that are going to be joining our space um, in the you know in the near future. Um, one of the things that I faced as um, working in a company that's grown really fast and furious over the last few years is really getting new employees up to speed with how cannabis businesses operate, the unique challenges that we face, that we face, and really how to like navigate. You know, my area of expertise is in regulatory compliance, so really how to na navigate regulatory and compliance barriers that we're really faced with in the industry. Um, 
really cool thing happened the other day. I met with a new retail district manager uh, in my home state of Maine for our company. And what, like, I couldn't tell you how thrilled I was to find out that he actually kind of already understood the underpinnings of the market here, the unique characteristics that each state market has. Um, it just makes my job a lot easier because we can really start getting down to business a lot faster when an employee comes to the table and has uh, some level of background in cannabis space. The other thing I also like about people coming in with, with a little bit of a background in a cannabis space Sometimes I notice, especially folks that come over um, from maybe like high level traditional industries, no one's actually really like sat them down and said, okay, you do realize that this is still federally illegal, right? And you do realize that the, there are various governmental agencies that could literally walk into your workplace any given day and say, pencils down. And you will be putting your pencils down for that moment. Um, I find that folks that come into the space that don't have that real realization, they generally either they jump on board immediately um, or they find that this isn't the right space for them, that there's too much ambiguity for them. And I think one of the things that cannabis education can help do is make sure that the people coming into this space are kind of aware of those kind of, you know, I wouldn't call it an ethical challenge, but it is something that, you know, when you've got someone that comes into the space and, and they are used to um, doing everything by the book and, you know, would never dream of there being an FBI investigation into their company or into their space, um, that can be very challenge, challenging for folks like that to kind of overcome that barrier. So all that said, I'm thinking there are three main ways that education in this space, formal education in this space, is occurring. Um, the first way, and is actually the way that I came into the space, is really by kind of cobbling together individual courses, um, maybe having a degree in a different industry and then um, kind of going out and almost educating yourself uh, on the cannabis space. And both of you to have programs that are available for folks that just want to take a, a, a dip a toe in, take a test, or maybe someone needs to just get a little bit more of a better understanding of something like manufacturing. So you can go and take, find and take a manufacturing specific class. Um, the way that I did it was I was actually studying for my MBA when I moved into this space. I was studying for an MBA in a traditional program. So the way that I did things was that I actually took my master's degree program and I just started focusing on the cannabis industry myself. So if I was taking a marketing class, I researched, looked into, found content out there that was available that taught me about what the challenges were marketing in the space. You know, I did the same thing when it came to accounting. In my accounting class, I was talking about 
280E. Um, you know, so it's kind of a, I, I gave myself a self-made cannabis education. And I'll tell you, it would have been great if I had had an instructor at all that knew anything about the space. Um, I think I did well in my program because I was actually teaching the instructors about the cannabis industry, something that they didn't know about before. So they found my assignments, my research papers, a little more interesting just because they hadn't ever seen it before. So I think the second way, and I think this is the way that many people are going about educating themselves in the space, is to obtain a cannabis industry-specific certificate. Now, a certificate program is not a degreed program, so you don't walk out necessarily with a bachelor's degree or an associate's degree. But what you walk out with is what I would consider to be more hands-on, more specific knowledge about the space that you're moving into. And then I think, th you know, thirdly, the final way is, of course, um, now I'm seeing a lot of more traditional universities bring cannabis education into their programs. So, Max, I talked a little bit about how I educated myself in cannabis. Share a little bit with our listeners why that isn't the best way to get in is to get educated about the cannabis industry. I think the thing that makes cannabis both so exhilarating for the right people, but also so difficult for the wrong people is that it's so complex. And, and when I look at the curriculums that we've designed, you know, Green Flower, we try to balance out the fact that we feel it's important for you to learn about the history of cannabis, both from a medical standpoint and a political standpoint and a socialization standpoint, because you'll realize that the war on drugs was, was unjust and, and unjustified. And thus, that really helps the passion side of the industry that helps people develop a, a, a deeper level of, of commitment to this industry, realizing that this isn't just a, a business, this is a purposeful business. But then on top of that, I think there's lots of specific sectors to learn about. And in those specific sectors, you know, we like to break it down by vertical. There's the there's the retail and, and distribution sector. There's the manufacturing sector. There's the cultivation sector. And then there's, you know, all the ancillary services that are needed to support those sectors, accounting, finance, marketing, those kinds of things. Um, and, and I think depending on where you're going in the sector, those skills are important. And then lastly, we feel that compliance is really important because it is, you know, unfortunately the most heavy handed in terms of regulatory frameworks. And that is not only a huge burden on companies, but is something that consumes a lot of cost and a lot of effort within the organization. And so we feel that people need to, to be educated on those factors. And so I say all that because when you look at, you know, all three of those different sectors, First and foremost, it's a lot of information to learn. Secondly, um, there's a lot of BS out there. There's a lot of people that are, you know, not doing this stuff at the highest caliber. And so if you're just piecing information together randomly, the chances are you're getting a lot of bad information. Unfortunately, this is my experience with a lot of bud tenders where, you know, you go to, to meet them at the counter and what they're saying is wrong. Um, there's a, an enormous amount of, of poor information given to consumers. And so, you know, I know that those people are not being formally trained and giving out wrong information. And then on the company side, you know, you take it all the way through, 
compliance mistakes are really costly and uh, detrimental to the business. They can produce fines, they can produce, um, you know, lawsuits, and they can produce just terrible results for the business. So when you take the, the, all those factors into consideration, you look at trying to piece that all together, it, it can be very ineffective. And, and I think it's bad for our industry when that happens. And so that's why I believe very deeply that, you know, well-structured formalized education programs fill that void and really not just help the people, but also help the companies in this space succeed as well. Absolutely. Um, and I can speak very directly to what you were describing where there's a lot of BS out there because I was definitely, um, you know, you, you almost, you, you're, one of the things you need to have in this space is a, is a pretty good bullshit detector. And, you know, as I was doing that kind of research, you know, I would often um, connect with folks that I knew in the industry to kind of like double check, you know, is this really accurate? Is, you know, and often, you know, I would say about 50% of the time, there were nuances that weren't being properly communicated in the sources that, that I was utilizing. Um, so thank you. I, I really appreciate that. Now, let's talk a little bit about certificate programs in, in particular, because I think right now that is, um, that is kind of what I'm seeing as the shining light in this particular space. So <clears throat> certificate programs as we've mentioned, tend to be geared towards specific aspects of the industry. They take a limited amount of time to complete. You know, every certificate program is a little bit different, but I haven't seen a lot of them that, that move into like the two year, you know, anything under two years, you know, some certificate programs could probably be completed in eight weeks. Um, I also would say that what I'm seeing is that Certificate programs are available generally to anyone with the money to pay for the program. So you don't have to have a college background in order to um, start learning through a certificate program. You, um, I don't even know if, if programs require like a high school or a GED program. I think what I like about certificates is that they are available to more of the people out there. Um, these types of programs may or may not run through what I call traditional education institutions, colleges and universities. Um, but generally, even if they are running through a traditional educational institution, they are oftentimes not eligible for things like federal financial aid or um, transferable college credit. So Brian, I'm curious, what should people be looking for in certificate programs? Well, that's a good question. And, you know, it's unfortunate that the federal government hang up affects more areas than one, especially education. You know, you want to talk about housing and tearing families apart and, you know, criminality of cannabis. The federal government has always been in the way of that. And uh, this this uh, realm is no different. This sector, uh, education, uh, which I would consider one of the number one ancillary markets uh, for cannabis, um, the most needed in, um, probably fast up and coming. Um, but, you know, what we need to do is uh, when you're taking a certificate program, first off, you know, the way the Cleveland School of Cannabis works is there are opportunities for you to take education at your own pace. There are opportunities if you want the traditional 
brick and mortar, sit down in the classroom. Uh, and there was also opportunities where the commitment to the courses are, you know, you're not going to be held accountable for your attendance, but rather completing assignments within the time frame allotted, whether it's a six-week, four-week, or two-week course. Um, so there are so many different ways that um, our organization is trying to reach consumers. Uh, we just launched what's called My First Plant, which is a 16-week intensive virtual course where basically individuals are walked through the process of growing cannabis through weekly instruction. And um, as a participant, you get your grow tent, you get seeds, a journal, uh, you know, coupons from different retailers we have partnerships with, uh, and, and in, in pretty in-depth curriculum on what you'll need to grow your first plant. And um, it, it is um, super exciting to, to actually uh, see how that unfolds. But but yeah, I mean, what you can expect from a certificate program is a little bit more versatility, quite frankly, than what um, uh, a four-year college or, you know, not to knock them. I, I went to Cleveland State University. I got my bachelor's. Uh, but But the thing is, there is no job training. There is no career placement, right? When you get involved with something like uh, the residential side of Cleveland School of Cannabis, you actually have a focus group of folks that are trying to get you uh, in tip-top shape, basically get your cannabis resume together so you can start applying and also helping you through the great vast number of uh, partnerships we've established over our five-year market now, five years times uh, seven, that's 35 in dog years. You already know how cannabis <laughs> works. So we're, we're, we're 35 years old out here. Uh, but seriously, though, you know, the career-centric focus, the hands-on placement, I feel like is way better than simply a one-off or, uh, you know, an addition to a broader uh, major. You know, with, with um, Cleveland School of Cannabis online and residential, you can actually choose a major or you can choose. Uh, we have five separate majors that you can follow, like Max says, uh, somewhat of a vertical model when we look at different aspects. Uh, so what you're looking at now is either taking one of those five majors with us at Cleveland School of Cannabis or an executive program, which is 300 clock hours uh, of immersive learning, all the stuff that we can, all the stuff that you can handle, everything that we have <laughs> to throw right at you. Um, so that is one, each class is uh, 25 clock hours as per the state board. So, you know, we take it very seriously. We, a lot of the folks who teach our courses are, are highly educated. Uh, I guess you could say pun intended on that one because there's nothing wrong with being a little medicated while you educating. So true. You've always got the good puns. Jeez, Brian. So I am a little bit curious, Brian, also for you. What is the process for like developing a course or a curriculum? So what we do is basically in the beginning, uh, there was a very small team. Um, I was part of that team as well, but there was a very small team of uh, curriculum developers. But What's essentially involved is what we want to do is find someone who has mastered their specific skill set in this industry, right? So people who have worked in the, the dispensary or managed a dispensary, uh, you know, regional managers, uh, and, and, you know, when we look at uh, the cultivation side of things, head growers of cultivation facilities, and um, our own Zach Simcoe who is the first Ohio 
uh, certified in the Gangier program, program courtesy of Greenflower. Um, so getting people who have a level of expertise, a level of knowledge um, to develop that curriculum. And if it's already something developed, have them put their take on it and, um, you know, create alternate versions. And, and, and you know, we kind of come together and, and have that master set at, at some point. That is fascinating. So you mentioned the Gangier program. Max, how did you come, how did this idea come about for you and your team? Um, and I'm curious, like, I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit more about what makes the Gangier program so unique. Yeah, the thing I love about education is that it's ultimately about solving problems and, and preparing people with the knowledge and the skills and the empowerment that they need to go out and solve those problems. And so when I, you know, we were developing the full suite of, of programs at, at Green Flower, we've been always asking ourselves where are the the gaps in knowledge and the gaps in understanding within the sector. And, and for, for me, as I said, you know, I care very deeply about the service side of cannabis and I want people to have good experiences. I want to bring new consumers in and I want to, to see a world in which people are <laughs> universally consuming cannabis, quite frankly. And so um, as I've traveled around the country speaking and, and meeting with so many operational leaders and, um, kind of experiencing the service side of cannabis, we got to a place of really saying, this is broken. <laughs> you know, the, mm -hmm. the, the, the service that people get in, in cannabis is not working appropriately. And while bud tender training is kind of one thing, we realized that it's not enough, that, that actually it has to be something taken really seriously and that there's, that there's quite a bit to learn and understand if you want to be able to provide the highest quality service to consumers. And so we started asking ourselves the question, how do you solve that problem? And, and in that we realized that actually other industries had already solved that problem before. In the wine industry, there's sommeliers. In the beer industry, there's Cicerones. And in the chocolate industry, there's chocolatiers. There's, there are master level qualifications that exist in other industries. And so we spent um, three years of time 8,000 hours of contributions from this council of um, legacy operators. We designed a curriculum that was meant to be a, a master of service level qualification, which became Ganjie. And so we developed uh, a grading system for how to understand the quality of cannabis. We developed a system for um, helping people understand assessment qualifications and the, the criteria for assessing products. We helped people understand the process of how these products are made. We help people understand the, the qualities of quality cannabis and how you preserve those qualities through proper handling and proper storage and quite frankly, just proper care of the plant. And, and we had to go you know, all the way deep into understanding genetics and the cultivation process and how that affects quality and the manufacturing process and how that affects quality. And then we developed ultimately a service protocol so that um, once somebody went through this training, they'd have a very specific set of protocols they could use when interacting with all the different types of cannabis consumers. So, you know, all of this was designed to solve the problem of poor service in cannabis, but it's been quite exciting to see that way more than just service professionals have, have jumped onto the program. And now we have CEOs and managers and leaders throughout the cannabis ecosystem that have become certified Gangiers as a way to 
um, distinguish that they really understand cannabis quality and cannabis service and can bring that knowledge into the ecosystem to improve the quality of the products and the quality of service that people are getting. Yeah, I think that this is just, I mean, it's really, you know, someone with, so this is a, just for folks who don't know what the Ganjier program entails, this is the absolute um, most intensive this is no joke program, folks. You aren't going to phone this one in. There is a it, it, there is an online aspect to of learning to it. There is an in person a required in person um, experience. So you're actually going uh, to take what you've learned and actually put it into practice. And then there's a what appears to me to be a fairly robust assessment at the end that not everybody actually passes. This isn't one of those situations where you kind of go in, you do your time, and then you get your certificate. You really do have to show that I was looking at some of your, your, uh, the, the grading credential or like how you would, how you would get through these, these aspects. This is, this is no joke, folks. This is, you are getting a real education from this. And when I look at it, I'm thinking about how the aspects that you mentioned, Max, you can make a, you would not believe the level of contribution that you can make to a, a cannabis company in, in whatever role you're in. If you have this skill set, um, it, it, I don't care if you're a trimmer, you're going to be able to say, oh, care, you know, when it comes to the care and storage of cannabis, you know, best practices are actually to use glass jars instead of, you know, plastic containers, whatever it is that, that one actually learns. Um, you know, I, I'm almost embarrassed when I look back on my time as a bud tender and how, I mean, I was really just listening to the other bud tenders that I worked with. And that's how I advised patients. Um, it was absolutely, you know, when I think about it now, I'm like, oh my gosh, what I wouldn't have done to have a level of experience myself that I knew was reliable, repeatable, um, a way to assess cannabis that goes beyond like the head bun tender telling me that that's, you know, that that strain's really fire and we should push that strain. Um, so this is, you know, this is, this is thrilling to me. Um, how did you guys come up with your assessment protocol, Max, when you're actually assessing the cannabis itself? Did you look, yeah, did you look at other industries and see how they did it? Um, yeah, I mean, we, we've done deep analysis of the sommeliers grading systems, the WSET systems in particular. Um, I've consulted with actual wine sommeliers as well on that front. Um, but ultimately, it just took a lot of time. We we brought this Ganjia Council together um, almost every other week or every month for for literal years, and we debated each criteria individually. <clears throat> we went through grading uh, kind of debates in terms of how we graded it, whether it was on a sliding scale or whether it was kind of single choice uh, variants and. And then we built this mobile technology called the Systematic Assessment Protocol, the SAP app, and just tested it out. And it's just been battle tested at this point. And that's the point is that we wanted to build a standard so that 
grading quality cannabis would have as much depth and rigor as was necessary. You know, when you look at cannabis, you know, Brian, before he got on was showing us this flower and you can look at the appearance of the flower, you can look at the aroma of the flower, you can look at the flavor of the flower and the experience of the flower. And all of these criteria are, are different things to be graded when you are evaluating the quality of flower. And so we just had to be disciplined and rigorous at developing the criteria, testing the criteria, evolving the criteria, and building something that could withstand the test of time. So I want to talk a little bit about kind of the, the new kids on the block when it comes to cannabis education. And that would be the, um, you know, the accredited college degree programs that I'm seeing popping up. I mean, not a day goes by, I feel like, that another, um, you know, well, you know, oftentimes well-known, um, but definitely, you know, traditional university or college is announcing that they now have a cannabis degree program. Now, a degree program to me, so I know that that many colleges and universities offer certificate programs, but I actually want to focus on that aspect that gives you a bachelor's degree or an associate's degree or a master's degree um, specific to cannabis. Um, I think my first question is, how the hell does an 18-year-old get their parent to pony up to pay for, uh, you know, an accredited degree program that focused on cannabis, my parents would have laughed me out of the room if I had said, oh, I'm going to go to school for cannabis education. You know, to me, a piece of this, you know, on the science side, it makes a lot of sense to me. Um, but I am cautiously optimistic about those programs that are focused on maybe more of the business side. And look, we know in America today, college degrees are very expensive. Um, I've actually been doing a little research around um, how the value of a college degree. And, you know, it seems as if perhaps tides are turning a little bit in that Traditionally, in, in my career, you know, you had to have a degree in order to even get in the door in, in many jobs. Jobs that, frankly, probably really didn't actually require the job itself. You did not utilize anything that you learned in your degree program in the job itself. So I'm wondering if these, you know, degree programs, you know, if their timing, I mean, Maybe their timing is off. You know, perhaps it wasn't, you know, it was it was five years ago. It was seven years ago when you all started your programs. That would have been a good time to start in this. Brian, what's up? What do you have to say on that topic? Well, well I, I was just getting ready to say what you said. They are a little too late and a dollar short to the table because they you know, having the prestigious accreditation and recognition from, uh, you know, the nation is is something very important. And, and we're lacking that on, on multiple fronts, though. Uh, but, you know, having been traditionally gone through a four-year program myself, it's like, yeah, I would have, I was fishing for something to be interested in. And, and now, to answer your question, 
that was your pops. He would have laughed you out of the room. My dad is a stoner, so he wouldn't have laughed me out of the room. He would have been all about it. But my mom would have been like, what the hell are you talking about, boy? I don't know what you think you're trying to do. You know, she she would have certainly been questionable. I grew up in the D.A.R.E. era, uh, 80s and 90s. So she would have had something to say about it. But my dad would have been like, hey, let, let a boy do it, you know. <laughs> uh, but But so that's the thing. Like now, and especially when we look at, how cannabis has been polling since you know this the late 60s right all the way till now it doing it now probably has more support but they probably missed a, a crucial time to jump in uh and now me and max uh we got it on lock so well and i think if you know if you are going to start one of these programs it behooves these universities to actually work with programs like the Cleveland School of Cannabis like Greenflower and the other i mean while we're talking primarily about these two organizations because these are the two that you guys are affiliated with there are a number of very good training schools that have been doing this for seven or eight years. Um, talk to me, Brian, a little bit about accreditation and kind of what that means, because I know Cleveland School of Cannabis was the first school that did get state accreditation, correct? Well, we're the second, actually. Second, we're one I'm of sorry. two. Just, mm -hmm. just to give a shout out to Cloverleaf University out in Colorado. Um, we just had a chance to speak with uh, the wonderful Wanda James. Uh, she spoke to our students in what's called a green hour that we do at high noon on Fridays during the term. Uh, I've actually attended one of those. You know about the green hour. Oh, yes. And, uh, yeah, so we, we, we bring in industry experts. That's our whole thing, you know, from the horse's mouth is how we educate. And, and um, you know, she was – it was very uh, – you know, a fantabulous, if I could combine two words, uh, experience. And she gave out career advice for crying out loud. It was like, you know, a free consultation for the students. It just felt so good. And I know a lot of them walked away still asking questions and, you know, picked her brain. And uh, But, yeah, just to shout out uh, her home, where she's at now, I don't know if it's her home state, Colorado, that's where the first uh, state-approved or state-accredited, uh, if you want to say, cannabis education facility came from we came in after so we're only uh, one of two but to that point currently we are in the running for uh, msa so middle states accreditation um, or middle states association accreditation for that national look so if we achieve that heather we will be the first uh, to do so from what i understand and what does, uh, you know, without spilling any secrets, of course, but what does obtaining accreditation entail? Well, essentially, uh, there are a lot of folks that handle it on a day-to-day -day basis that I don't, you know, or I'm not privy to. But what's going on is there's an approval process. There's a vetting concern. There is a uh, turnaround. There's an inspection, so to speak, if you will, to see, you know, the, how these credentials hold up, how the job placement rate. Uh, ends up because we're we're really focused more on the career side at the, at our uh, residential location, um, you know, and you know whether you take a class online or not, you're getting an Ohio um, approved certificate at the end, and once we have that national accreditation, on our virtual platforms will will move up uh, as well. So it's just a long drawn out process of of. Um, multiple meetings and, and, and trying to get folks on the same page as far as what we're trying to achieve. Are they looking at things like diversity and uh, how your 
program gives back. Um, you know, that's a, that's an area that's very important in our space. Um, you know, the social equity side of things does, does state, you know, are they there yet when it comes, because, you know, when I look at what's important in a program, I would want to be looking for a program. I would want to make sure that there are courses about social equity. I would want there to be courses about advocating in this space. I mean, I don't think I've seen in any other industry, the actual, you know, the actual uh, course, uh, I, well, I've seen it with you with Cleveland School of Cannabis, but of course it actually tell, explains to you how to advocate in the space. Um, are accreditation boards looking at those things yet? I'm going to say no. Uh, they're they're barely looking at. When I'm just going to speak for Ohio and the yeah. whole state of yep. Ohio, I'm going to yep. speak for them. Um, but but they're they. Just to give our listeners a reminder, our state is one of the many, uh, or I don't know, handful of states that have said that social equity is unconstitutional in the form that we try to uh, legislate it. So it was a, you know, 15% was supposed to be reserved toward toward that or so on and so forth, but our courts ruled that it was unconstitutional. So that's just, if you want a little glimpse in how Ohio even looks at social equity, let alone wanting to have a cannabis industry in existence, we only have this industry as a spite uh, against responsible Ohio's plight in 2015, <laughs> uh, quite frankly, <laughs> let's be real. <laughs> I'm glad it's here, though. Look, a lot of really good things actually can come out of spite. So yep. I'm, I'm going to let it. I'm going to let that roll. <coughs> There's some spite shows out there, too. <laughs> so let's shift gears a little bit. I want to talk about um, current operators in the space and how current operators are supporting, partnering, utilizing cannabis education um, for their own benefit. Max. I know that Green Flower works with a no I, both organizations work with a number of employers in this space. But can you tell us a little bit about what you're seeing uh, on that side, the growth that employers and um, companies in the space are, or the focus that they're now putting into supporting education programs? Yeah, well, I'll go back to starting with the problems because, again, I feel like that's that's where good education really plays a role. And so what are the problems that, that cannabis companies are facing right now that education can solve? Well, first off, lots of cannabis companies are hiring lots of people that have diverse backgrounds, but maybe or maybe not a cannabis background. And so the, the learning curve just to get cannabis friendly, if you will, can be pretty steep without good education and training. But then on top of that, right, you have compliance requirements in many states. There's responsible vendor training or there's even uh, kind of safety OSHA training that's required. And, and so in those places, there's a mandatory level of, of focus that's needed. And then on top of that, though, which I think is arguably the, the most significant one, lots of cannabis companies are experiencing crazy turnover. And, and the reason why cannabis companies are experiencing crazy turnover is because they're not treating their employees very well, or they're not showing employees that there's a path to growth or a path to success within the organization. And so it's for all these reasons that training can become a really invaluable asset to a company. And I think that for many, many years, and still, quite frankly, today, you know, cannabis companies have a lot to juggle and a lot to deal with. But 
as we are getting to a slightly more mature marketplace and we're starting to see, you know, um, better operators start to to come forward, you're seeing these companies say, you know, we are going to invest a little bit into training and we are going to develop our organization so that we have standardized training to get people up to speed quickly in the organization. We can cover our mandatory training, <clears throat> training requirements and we'll build a culture that that demonstrates that this is a place you can grow and that this is a place you can upskill and you can develop your career here. And so this is why we've been seeing a lot more success, especially this year. And we're <clears throat> working with operators because there's a certain understanding that by not having these things, there's actually a huge cost associated with it. Turnover is expensive. Mistakes are expensive. Um, losing talent to you know too quickly is expensive. There's lots of reasons why this solves real issues for for companies, and I think finally they're starting to wake up a little. And then you know if you just go on top of all that stuff and you go to the fact that cannabis companies should care about the quality of products and the quality of services that they're providing. That doesn't just happen organically. That happens through training. And you'd like to think that these companies can do that themselves, but they don't. They don't have good systems in place. And that's why, you know, ultimately I think more and more companies are starting to say, you know what, this is this is the right investment to make in the company to, to bring training into the organization. Mm -hmm. And I will say, you know, from an MSO perspective, having some consistency, um, in the training that's given, uh, you know, when possible, having, you know, the baseline consistency that you know that employees in California are being trained the same way that employees in Maine are being trained, obviously, with compliance being, you know, a carve out in each state, because the specifics around compliance are so unique in each state. Um, but I, that to me feels feels more like we're playing with other industry large operators, right? So in other industries, you know, a corporate training program that that goes across all locations and all sites, you know, that's oftentimes already embedded in the culture. In the cannabis space, you know, sometimes we have to fight for things like cohesive training that that every employee that walks in the door will get the same consistent training and that's another thing that i think cannabis organizations that are focused on cannabis education are well positioned to to help employers with that kind of need um what are you guys your experiences around um how states are looking at cannabis education. So you mentioned um, the vendor training requirements in some states. You know, in every state's a little bit different about what they're requiring. I was just reading Alabama's proposed regs the other day, and they are, they've got a pretty, what I consider to be a fairly strict training requirement that is, um, that applies to any employee and officers, owners, and directors that will require 20 hours of state approved training, um, which I just find fascinating because then, you know, I kind of flip over to a state, my home state of Maine, which I don't think we have any required training. <laughs> um, so I just find it interesting, you know, there's that piece of it, there's states 
training requirements that are coming into play. But then also we're seeing a lot of um, things like state workforce development programs, uh, especially in the newer adult use markets that we're seeing and where cannabis education can kind of fall in and assist um, and kind of help develop the workforce for the state. Brian, do you guys have any experience of working directly with the states? Thank you for asking, and absolutely we do. The Cannabis Hub division of our services has been the main, um, I guess, partner of state-based training. So just to give you an example, we've worked with uh, Senator James uh, Sanders uh, out of New York. So that's a Queens representative. So he actually uh, picked up our curriculum to help educate folks in his area um, who represent him, his constituency. And uh, so it's been, as you mentioned, because of the patchwork of law setup, we have our jigsaw puzzle of laws uh, per state. We have to approach this, and Max maybe can attest to this, we approach this the same way, state by state. Uh, we reach out to various states um, who, who may have a new program, um, you know, coming up. Uh, or states that have an, an established program like uh, Oklahoma, but find a way that we can c re come in and help them out some sort of w uh, way through a consultation or so of sorts. But um, yeah, the, the team that I work with is fantastic at, at reaching out on the state-by-state -state side, uh, making sure we're at some of these events, uh, networking and connecting with people just so we can do just that. Um, I was able to do that in California earlier this year when I went on a trip on behalf of Harrington, uh, just sitting down with their state representatives and uh, being able to have them in the Rolodex now is, uh, you know, pretty priceless when you consider the ongoing uh, need for job training, especially in a nascent industry like this. Well, and I think that it also speaks to, you know, the social the social equity aspect um, that opportunities for states to help provide education to social equity applicants will go a long way in getting social equity applicants awarded licenses, which we know is still a problem, and actually helping them operate once they're awarded their licenses. Um, so I have to say, you know, to me, that piece of the cannabis education uh, side of the business um, is es essential, I think, in terms of promoting social equity um, and providing affordable ways for social equity for, for anyone, frankly, but like for diverse participants in the space. Um, I want to talk about one other topic here before I let you guys go. And that's one small gap that I've seen in the education space. And I want you guys to correct me um, because it's also going to point me in the right direction to what my next steps are going to be when it comes to my cannabis education. But I'm noticing that it feels to me like a lot of the cannabis education programs that are available now are geared towards entry level, getting into the industry, getting a job, how to write your resume, um, how, you know, making connections within the space. I'm lucky enough that I've been in the space for a while now. So I am, you know, I am networked up in a lot of ways. Um, but where I see a lack of is that in my past roles, there was a lot of focus on kind of those mid 
level career employees and providing opportunities for those folks to either learn new things or really dig deep into areas of expertise that that you're kind of already functioning in. So I'm presenting to you two and saying, you know, is there a gap in the education availability to a mid-career person? Like, I'm not going back to school to get another associate's degree, right? Like, that is not happening. <laughs> what does somebody like myself, how do we look at cannabis education opportunities um, that, that kind of take it up a notch or kind of delve into more detail than what I've historically seen available out there? Max, do you want to jump in on that one? I think that it's a gap that hasn't needed to be filled until only recently anyways, because we haven't had people that have been kind of staying in companies long enough and playing senior enough roles and, and understanding a space to, to know that they even need it. And so I do believe it's a gap. I'll say from, from Green Flower's side, we have our first manager level training that's coming out later this year. It's actually compliance manager training for managers. Um, and it's definitely much more advanced and much more sophisticated than what we've done before. And then in 2013, 2013, <laughs> 2023, <laughs> um, uh, we, we certainly have, you know, what we call our, our 201 programs coming down the pike, cultivation management, retail management, manufacturing management. So, um, I think it's just the, the nature of the beast that, that the market hasn't really been asking for it or looking for it up until now, if you will. Um, but I certainly know on Green Flower's side, we're kind of full steam ahead to, to start to have that level of advanced offering coming uh, later this year and beyond. I can't wait. I can't wait. How about you, Brian? Is uh, Has the Harrington Institute identified this also as, as a need? Yes, the Harrington Institute, uh, but not so much them as or us as uh, the Cleveland School of Cannabis, because as I mentioned to you, you before, we anticipated the industry um, here in our state coming, and we we knew what we had I, an idea for uh, as far as uh, how we wanted to train folks, whether it be entry level all the way to management. Um, if you if you actually um, take a look at all those majors, this is some very intense learning that you you have to take even with a single major um, and that includes the the cannabis dispensary major for instance yeah it starts with bud tender uh stuff but what you end up learning is operational day-to-day -day key employee level stuff um i i had the privilege of working in the industry as a key employee that means they trust me with the money and the weed y'all um but <laughs> You know, and now the I can paperwork bring... as a key employee is such a <laughs> bitch, though. <laughs> oh, you know it. You know it. And 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 the fact that we have to destroy marijuana in in, uh, in my industry and here in Ohio, I, that was like, oh, you know what? Um, I'm thinking I might need that day off. Look, yeah, <laughs> I can't. It's against my religion to do that. Um, but I'm picturing but tears coming as you're destroying <laughs> cannabis. Just like the old very bad distasteful commercial with the native american person crying when the, the 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 person littered yes that's how intense it was sadly that is the um visual that i had as well which goes to tell us which goes to tell us how much uh media actually has an impact on us over long periods of time tasteful or not yeah exactly right. exactly well the least tasteful yeah. i think make more of an impact sometimes true true yeah, look at Family Guy. Look at uh, <laughs> all that stuff out there. It's it's fun though. It's fun sometimes. But uh, yeah, don't 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 offend uh, uh, specific cultures, folks. 
Um, but yeah, I think we have a, a way of connecting the person from wherever they stand uh, to wherever they want to be, and 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 you know just through every single every single service that we mentioned, such as Cannabis Hub, which is a self-paced environment. Cleveland School of Cannabis Online, which is a six-week format, uh, you know, per, you know, term. And then Harrington is a, is another uh, weekly format, but um, helping you, and as you mentioned multiple times in this show, focusing on a social ec- equity-centric approach. And the, the, the fantastic reason why I'm proud to represent Harrington is because we offer our courses at a discounted rate. We offer our courses at an affordable rate. You mentioned earlier in the show that there is no private loan. Um, well, there is private loans. There is no Fed loan. Uh, so, so that's what we have to deal with. We deal with, uh, you know, private loan distributors. We deal with uh, local folks that, that you know, some, some folks come in and invest and they say, hey, this is for umpteen scholarships or sponsorships, depending on how we have to phrase it. But um, yeah, I love it. That's why we have so many realms of this this uh, opportunity because we found out we pretty much try to put all those buckets on the floor where the roof is leaking. You know, <laughs> oh, we, we yes. see those leaks, and we got a few buckets for it, for that. All right, fellas. Well, I could speak about this topic. I mean, I could go another hour and a half, I think. But I'm going to take pity on Max. And Brian also has a class that he's got to get to teach. So I think we will move into my favorite segment of the podcast, Finishing Moves. Finishing Moves. Finishing Moves is the part of the show where our guests can talk about anything they wish so brian what is your finishing move today well thank you so much for asking and um another amazing sit down with y'all i appreciate the intellect i appreciate the conversation and um my finishing move this time around is going to be just uh i guess a formal or informal invite to anyone including everyone on this call to join namsi now, what is NAMSI? It is the National Association for Marijuana and Cannabis Education uh, Educators. So education oh. as well. So, yeah. So what what it is is essentially a nonprofit organization uh, committed to creating sustainability, equity, and educational and occupational enlightenment and alignment in the cannabis industry. So basically making sure everybody is functioning at peak performance on all levels. One of the main gaps we talked about is, is education. And that's why we want to bring all of the leaders, such as Max and other folks who are out there um, doing their own thing, into this fold because this these group of cannabis ed- educators will basically uh, expand the general knowledge of the workforce once we band together we're stronger together every time when we look at our political outcomes we're always stronger in numbers uh, unless they decide to do some other things like gerrymandering (laughs) but anyway (laughs) when we all get together and you know connect one of the main things we have now is the connection and um, we just want to support the advancement of four things it's research uh, legitimizing the industry through education uh, and aligning every educational institution uh, through integrity and job training, also supporting the standards of education through our certificate uh, and certificate validation. So please check out NAMC. That is N A M C E 
namce.org. That's N-A-M-C-E dot O-R-G, namce. That is a fantastic finishing move, Brian. Thank you so very much. Max, thank you for joining us today. This was a long recording, so thanks for sticking with us. What's your finishing move today? As you've heard, I've been kind of losing my breath a little because I had a pretty gnarly bout with COVID. So my finishing move today is just to remind everybody not to take their health for granted and stay safe out there. Man, this thing is no joke when it gets a hold of you. And uh, I wish everyone good health and uh, avoidance of this this thing because it's going to get pretty pretty crazy at times. So good good health to all. I very much appreciate that, Max. You know, we are not yet out of the woods when it comes to this. COVID uh, pandemic that just seems to go on and on. I'm glad you are feeling better. Um, I know that that this can be, um, you know, it ebbs and flows. Uh, so hopefully you are on the side of having more good days than bad days. And I hope you get a chance to actually celebrate your birthday because I know that that you've recently celebrated a birthday and uh, and maybe didn't get to celebrate as much as you would have liked to. Yeah, still still waiting to get good and strong enough to to get there, but I'm getting close. I'm definitely through the worst of it, but I'm whew, so it's glad. been a, it's been a brut, been a brutal few weeks for sure. My finishing move today is actually um, to turn listeners on to an event that's coming up on Saturday, August 20th in Ohio. And if you, Marijuana Today listeners, are interested in meeting Brian Adams face-to-face, he is going to be speaking at the Midwest Canifest. That is, again, on Saturday, August 20th from 10 to 4. Uh, and that is at the Ridall Green Partnership. Um, I, I don't know Cleveland, so I don't know what – I assume this is kind of an outdoor venue, Brian. Is that right? Yes, it's on the east side of Cleveland. It's outdoors, indeed. Very cool. Um, they are going to be celebrating the growth and expansion of shining light on the evolution of cannabis and recognizing, I love this, the OG original groundwork and trailblazers that carved the path of Ohio's medical marijuana control program. So you can see Brian there. And I don't think I'm speaking out of turn. It looks to me like tickets for this event are now free because I just went and... I didn't. Or I didn't officially order them, but I did. Um, I did put in for them, and I got a zero admission charge. And I'm no one special, so um, folks, please consider going and checking that out. And if you do go, make sure that you take a minute, find Brian, and say hello. I know he'd love to share with you what he's consuming on Saturday, August twentieth. So a huge thanks to this week's guests for such a great conversation. Shay Gunther, our fearless producer, is a rock star for slicing together these recordings into something that makes me sound far more polished than I am. He's got a, it's, it's a rough one today because I actually took no breaks. So Shay, hope you can figure it out. <laughs> of course, we couldn't do this without the generosity of our sponsors. So if you'd like to join us as a sponsor, please reach out. We would love to show you how your dollar goes further with MJ Today on your side. Gotta give some love to Overclock Remix for the tunes. 
And don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you catch our show so that other cannabis nerds will find out about us. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Marijuana Today, and I wish you a safe and healthy marijuana tomorrow. One take, Shay. One take.